What's going on, guys? And welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. It's double trouble today. You've got two Bridgmans on the podcast. Um, this has been this has been an idea that I've had in my head for a while because I don't think that many people have the relationship that me and my mum do. Um, talking about the things that we do, obviously living the lifestyle that I do. Um, I think it'd be a pretty interesting podcast to get her on and go through some questions. So. We've got some questions. Um, my mum has written out a load of questions, um, sort of from her perspective, but I think a lot of the questions will resonate with some of the questions that you guys asked. And then throughout the pro- throughout the podcast, we'll try and make it as conversational as possible. Throughout the podcast, I'll just drop in questions that you guys wanted to ask her specifically. And obviously, you guys can guess what, what most of the questions are, are based around. Um, so first of all, Mumsy... Welcome on the podcast. Hi, everybody. Um, hope this is going to be an insight into you all. <laughs> uh, we've never done anything like this. I don't think I've ever had my mum on a, on a video before, let alone talking on a podcast. So I have been on a video in the background. Just waving and making noises. Um, <laughs> washing the dog. Washing the dog. Um, so we'll jump into it. My mum is literally going to run through questions for you guys, probably starting from from like the young the young ages, and we'll go through... We'll just go through what we've got and we'll, we'll bounce it back and forth and hopefully we can bring some value to you guys and, and an insight into how you guys can talk to your mum like I talk to my mum. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, so yeah, going back to when you were very young um, and it was quite obvious from a, a young age that you were going to develop into a very good footballer um, and then... After you got fed up of football, you moved into being a really good rugby player. Um, obviously, you know I wanted you to follow that route, but is there any regrets on your part of not following either of these paths? It's a it's it's, it's a difficult question because you look at footballers today and you say, "Oh, could do with being a millionaire." <laughs> do you know what I mean? And you, and also you, you can think like, "Cool, the Premiership guys are millionaires," but actually. The League One guys and the League Two guys, they're still earning thousands a week, you know, thousands more a week than I did for the last 10 years of my life. So part of me thinks yes, but considering the position that I'm in now, in hindsight, no, like I love what I do. I'm in a very, very good position now. Um, I think I think things happen for a reason. I fell out of love with it for a reason. I fell in love with this for a reason. Okay. Uh, so moving on from from that, obviously you went to university um, and then thought that you were going to go to the gym. And um, from a, a young age, again, when you were part of that Gloucester Academy, I always paid your gym membership, uh, dropped you off. Um, and when I picked you up, you were always hanging out the window, having a chat with your mates. So you didn't seem to be that interested in progressing. Um, and then when you were in the rugby academy and you had to go to the gym again, there was uh, there was there was no fire there really, and mm. I'm asking you what stoked the fire and made you into the highly motivation motivated person. Sorry, motivated person of today. <laughs> uh, I know. I remember like people say, "How long have you been going to the gym?" I like first went like I didn't. I think I lied. Do you remember I lied to go to yeah. fifth dimension? Yeah, I think I said I was sixteen, but actually was fifteen. 15, yeah, and I went with Dave. Dave Marsh. So, like, I did have an interest in going to the gym. I think at that point it was purely just to get bigger for muscles. I think it was because there was a guy in our school called Chad and we always we all used to say that he was on steroids because he had he had the biggest muscles and everyone was just like, how do you look so good? You must be on steroids. This kid's, like, 14 years old. Of course he's not on steroids. So that was kind of why we got into the gym. And then, yeah, I went to the academy and I hated it. Like, I hated the strength and conditioning. I was weak. I remember, I remember putting 60 kilos on a bench press with the guy next to me doing 100 and I thought, I can't even lift the 60 kilos. I hate it. And it was so, and remember I used to get those headaches. I used to get headaches all the time. I used to go to the gym because I had this like association with the gym and headaches. It was the weirdest thing. Um, so like the association with gym never really came until later, and I wasn't very motivated for that either. Um, but I briefly talked about uh, how I became so motivated, and I think it's a culmination of of so many different things. Um, for example. <laughs> like failing at rugby, failing at football, I didn't get anywhere of that. That probably stoked the fire. I don't think you failed. Well, I didn't get anywhere. Well, I got places, but I, you know, I gave up. Yeah, you gave up. You didn't yeah. fail. You gave up. Oh, okay, it's probably worse, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
I, I, I just got sick of being mediocre and I got sick of wallowing. I think, I think I didn't really have any concept of what motivation or like working for something was until like university and I found something that I really wanted to do, you know? So it took me t- however many years of being conscious of what motivation and working for something is, five, six years to even understand what actually working for something is. And I just wallowed in university for so long that I couldn't take it anymore. And I think a combination of that with probably like the shit that dad did over the years, you know, just learning not what to do and just thinking, I don't want to be in a rut when I'm 50 years old thinking I want, I've got no money. I've got this. So I need to give this to that person. I didn't want to want to be that person. You know, I feel I actually take pride in, in saying that I can learn from other people. I think that's the thing that I, I'm good at. And I think learning from what dad did to, to us and the family kind of pushed me towards not wanting to do that shit. And he wasn't very motiv- motivated person, I don't think, other than his binges. <laughs> but I think he was motivated. He always wanted to earn money. I think the motivation was there. I just maybe the way he did it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether it was like the money problems that he's got now, or or even you know, it's just a combination. It's a combination of doing fuck all at uni for so long, feeling like I did fuck all, and f- just feeling like. Just feeling like a fucking like a grebo, you know. Just like sat there on my ass all day, not doing anything, not working for anything. And and I think a lot of things fell into my lap when I was younger. Being being an only child, having two parents with decent jobs, you know, not living in an expensive area. I had a privileged lifestyle. Like I did all this stuff, you know, and everything kind of came into my lap. So I never really worked for anything until I got to uni and realised I couldn't do anything without having to work for something, or even when I left uni, and, and the the helping from the parents started to slow down. Never stopped, obviously, but the motivation combination of life experiences, immersing myself with other people that have, have been motivated. I don't know, you probably don't know, but Gary Vee, do you know Gary Vee? No. So Gary Vee's like this... Uh, business mogul who's he's like 50 years old and he, he started social media when he was like 45 you know but he's very like just get the fuck up and do you gotta work for it you know like one of those motivational speakers and i think at the time now i'm like okay come on gary you gotta find some balance but when i was young and naive and i watched him i was obsessed with him and i was like yeah he's fucking right you know and i, and I immersed myself in it so much i thought i gotta try it combination of it you can never you can never pinpoint where your motivation comes from you know I try but mm. combination of everything mm. so you well, you had a gym membership when you first went to uni I, I mean I don't know how much you went to the gym in those early days mm. uh, maybe not very much but what made you consider men's physique and why did you think it was the thing for you um I think I think bodybuilding is one of those things where you kind of know if you're going to be all right at it you, know, you kind of know if you're going to be good because you're that guy who people go, how do you look like that? You know, oh, you got abs? Oh, you gained muscle quite quick. So I kind of had it in my head that there was a competitive side to going to the gym. Um, watching the YouTubers who I obsessed with, Christian Guzman, Matt August, these guys were competing at the same, you know, at the time. I was obsessed with kind of how, how they did it all. Um and I always wanted to dabble, but I, st- I, you know, I talked about my my social anxiety. You know, it sounds quite serious, but like the fear of like doing things, you know, going to trials. Remember back in the day, I couldn't go to trial without you holding my hand to the door, all those kind of things. And I had this, I had that, I remember it about the competition. So I, so I, was, I came into the gym one day, I realized I was pretty strong. I could bench 140 at the time, so I had some muscle. I remember I took some pictures in the, in the, in the thing, I thought, oh, I look quite good. And as we walked out, I saw a leaflet for Mr. University. And I picked it up and Ule, remember Ule? So Ule was one of the guys I live with. He goes, oh, you should do that. And it was like five, six weeks away. And there was a seminar on the next day. He said, oh, he, he said, I'll come with you. We'll go to the seminar. So him and Mo came with me to the seminar. Because I was kind of interested in, but I had that like, that, that, that thing on your chest, that anxiety in your chest of like, oh, I don't want to do it because I've got to get in my pants on, on stage, you know? Um, and they pushed me into it. They literally pushed me into it. And I, I say that today. I don't, I don't, for the guys that don't know, I don't talk to Uli anymore. We fell out. We had a huge falling out. We had business together. We kind of X'd each other off. But was, to this day, he got me into it, you know? So I, I will always be thankful and in debt to Ule for doing this. Hopefully you hear this. You probably don't. Um, <laughs> and he kind of just said, you've got to fucking do it, you know? And, and he was very much a fucking guy. Didn't really care what anyone, people th- anyone thought of himself. 
there was pros and cons to that, as you can imagine now that the story ended up with <laughs> with us breaking up as friends. Um, and he pushed me into it. And then I did it and, and, and did well. And when you do well at something, you, at your first trial, and you realize you did so many things wrong, you think, maybe I've got a knack for this. And I think I felt the knack, I felt the, the burn, that irk that I talk about, and, and that was the, that was the, when the fire came alive. Um, but why men's physique specifically? Same thing. Like I, I just watched the physique, guys. I fell in love with Arnold, but that wasn't the physique that I was first like, oh my god, that's amazing. It was actually Jeremy Buendia, and he was a men's physique guy. So that's why men's physique. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, in the early days, obviously I went to every competition and still do. Um, and always so, was so proud to say that you were natty, especially when you were beating people who weren't. Any regrets on turning to the dark side? <laughs> Straight in there. <laughs> uh, no, no regrets. No regrets anymore. Um, anymore? There were no regrets. No. Um, I think, like, what my mum knows, like, I've been thinking about, I don't know how many times I've talked about steroids of her over the years, so many times, and it was definitely something that was playing on my mind for years. So it wasn't a... A jump in, oh, fuck it, I want to get big situation. It was a pros and cons, pros and cons for years before that, before the actual decision. Um, so I knew that when I had to make the decision, it had to be a no regret situation. It had to be all in, no regrets. You know the pros, you know the cons. You, you just got to make the move. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I was proud of being natural as well. And I kind of got off on it. I actually got off on the fact that I was natural. And I used to actually probably jab at people who weren't natural. You know, and who said they were, or even just normal people used to jab at them. Um, so I definitely got off on it, but no regrets now. Um, but I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in for a question for you. Um, coming off that question, you say you're always proud that I was natural, especially when I was against people who weren't. But now that I'm not natural, does that mean that the the proudness has gone? <laughs> um, no. the fact you started it with um. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always proud um, of how far you've come. Not, not just on the stage because that's just a little small part of your life, yeah. but in everything that you've driven yourself to do, as regards, you know, your, your business, how you left London, determined to kind of really pursue the YouTube, uh, and how hard you've worked to get that up. Uh, and you know, for for me. You know, it's a great pride to, to think that you've managed to dri drive yourself that far because I, I know that it wasn't easy at uni for you to drive yourself work-wise. Uh, and obviously when you left uni, again, the drive wasn't there for anything and you didn't feel fulfilled, I guess. But I know that's the same for a lot of people that leave university anyway. Mm. Um, so for you to come out of that and, you know, find yourself is is pride in itself really for sure but what about the steroids <laughs> we need that well answer. you know that we both sat down in venice when we, we were should having... tell the story we should tell the story that was like the moment that was the the moment it was it was july was it 2017 two years ago i think it was 2017 no 2018 yeah it was last year last year last summer we were in venice me and my mum were on a holiday we were at a Travestier, is that what they call them? Tra Travestier? Austria. Ost Osteria. 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 <laughs> or we're at some Osteria, a little quaint street, and we're talking about steroids. And I thought, oh, I just I think I want to do it. Because I realised, I basically realised last year, you guys know so much about the, the natty decision, but I felt like I wasn't working towards my goal of being an IFBB pro. And, and to be honest, the goal is Olympia, you know. So if the goal is Olympia, with my genetics, with my makeup, I had to take steroids. So I was kind of explaining that. And, and and I think mum just kind of went, no regrets, like no regrets, like don't don't live your life thinking what would have, should have, could have. Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that was the tipping point, but like when you got your mum, who's like your your number one, saying go on, San, go on, in, <laughs> it's quite hard to ignore. But so you kind of gave me a blessing in in a sort, don't you think? Yeah, I guess so. Um, well. From my perspective, nobody knows me out there, but I am a highly, highly competitive person and always have been from a very young age, hated to lose. 
Um, this is the woman that if Liverpool are one nil down, will not talk to anyone, <laughs> and will fucking sit there in a grump. <laughs> um, so yeah, obviously when it came up for me, my first my first thing is, yeah, if you want to win, you've got to do it, because I know in my mind that if you're competing against people that are on, there's no way that you're going to be able to compete. Mm. So, but do you, do you think that you saying? Go on then. Was ignorant to the the side effects. Definitely. So you think you were just like, yeah, go on, but like yeah. not actually being in the know of like, mm. cool. My risk of heart disease goes up. My risk of high blood pressure goes up. My risk of arteriosclerosis goes up. Yeah. You know, my my lifespan shortens. You know, like. Yeah, and that's and it, and it's only obviously subsequently that that now that you have um, started taking them that there is a doubt in my mind. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, on the one hand, developing as a nat- natural athlete to compete against assisted athletes, you know, it's the same in, in, in athletics, although they do it obviously in an underhand way. You know, people, yeah. uh, it's very difficult to compete against in that case. And you can never win in the way that you want to. And when your passion was is that strong, like, like Josh's is, um, you've got to follow what you need to do to get where you want to go. So since jumping on, my thoughts are slightly different as regards health aspects, as I worry, or when you take your bloods, for example, are they all in order? Or your jabs go wrong and your leg swells up and you're off to hospital, um, which thankfully isn't that often. Um, And then weighed that up against, I know that Josh wouldn't put anything into him unless he knew exactly what he was doing. And the fact that he's got a coach who is very knowledgeable Um, And they're always going to try and do it in the safest way that's possible. And that alleviates me somewhat. So there's kind of a fine balance there. As a mother, I'm obviously going to be worrying about the health issues. Um, But let's be morbid about this. You're probably not going to be around to see them. (laughs) Great. It's pretty pretty fucking morbid, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think there's something to take from that, like, before we got into this, you know, I explained to my mum every single process, every single blood test, every single thing that we are going to track, every variable, and as loosely as I can put it, you know, put her mind at ease that I'm doing it as safely as possible. But, you know, when I'm texting her pictures of my leg that's double the size because of the swelling where I've jumped it in the wrong place, you can only imagine what a mother's head does. Um, but I think just the openness of it probably eases your mind a little bit more than just being ignorant to it you know because mm. uh, a lot of, a lot of people out there will just be you know they're not even, not even gonna tell their parents they're not even mm. this like in fact if their parents found out they would kick them out type thing you know mm. because of the ignorance around it because of that type of thing which is to, to be understood but i just think communication was our biggest forte and when you see everybody on stage and you know well i could never tell that they were assisted but you know to the to the eye well, there's no difference in them than the, what there is in you naturally. Yeah. So what the hell? It you know, yeah. I can't see the difference. Sure. You look at the pros, but obviously yeah. when you sat next to me and you're not talking to me because you're in a bad mood or you're snapping at me, then it becomes a little bit of a different, <laughs> different scenario. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was pretty good on, on that question. Um, so f- just thinking about that, and I, I know that... Um, Arnie's come out recently about saying that the drugs in men's physique, um, he thinks, have gone over the top. And maybe to think about, you know, not using them. What What's your thoughts on that? I, I think he's. I think. I think there's two things. There was probably a few things to this conversation. Number one, he's he's comparing himself to the bodybuilders, right? He's a bodybuilder, so he's comparing himself to where the bodybuilders are right now, and he's thinking these guys have got big guts. They're twice the size of me. They're they're 30 kilos heavier than me on stage. Where's bodybuilding gone? That's probably what he's thinking rather than the men's physique guys, for mm. one. Mm. Uh, number two, he's not taking them anymore. He's not pushing his body like he was anymore. Mm. If he was chasing down his first Mr. Olympia, I don't think he'd even mention the drugs. He would just be like, I'm going to do what I need to do, you know, because once you've won seven Mr. Olympias and you're a multi-millionaire and you're the governor of, of California and you've got the best doctors in the world taking care of you, you're now kind of part vegan, living the healthiest life that you can. It's very easy to condemn someone living the life that you used to be living, mm. you know? 
Like, it, it's all good and well being 70-year-old sat on your throne saying, mm, I don't think you guys should be doing like that when you were doing it like that. Cool, he might have not been using as many drugs, but the principles are the same. You know, mm. he would have pushed himself further if those drugs that weren't available then mm. were available. Were available. You know, like things like growth hormone, insulin, all these exotic drugs, you know, they weren't around then. You know, it was literally like a testosterone because they had testosterone replacement therapy, which they've been researching since 1930. And then maybe like, uh, uh, for example, like AIDS patients have like muscle wastage tablets called oxys or something like that. You know, they'll use those, you know, because it's, it's, it's that's all that's really available. But now that chemists have got hold of molecular structures, removed two or three molecules and put two more in and made them more powerful. Like, yeah, it's probably, you've got to be a bit more careful with what you use. And it's probably a lot more powerful than what it was, you know? And I, But, you know, you stick someone highly competitive like Arnold, who's not one Olympia, who's very, very close. And you say, this is Trenbolone. This is the strongest drug on the planet, but it's going to get you the results. You know, ask him that same question then. It's a bit different when you're 70 years old and chilling, you know? Mm. So I think... A lot of what Arnie says is probably in like in his pedestal at the moment rather than like mm. remembering he's not in the grips anymore. Mm. So, yeah, just keeping on that vein then, um, do you think that men's physique has been spoiled by the desire from the judges for size? And do you think it will change or will size always rule? I think, I think people are always going to want to see freaks, uh, which is kind of why the bodybuilding, I think, will remain. I think with classic, this was the first year where they actually kind of gave someone who fit the criteria of the win. Like he looked more classic, but he was actually softer than the guy who came second. You know, which is which is kind of nice because they rewarded the shape. Hmm. Now we've got to wait for it for men's physique. You know, because I think I actually think this year the guy who won was probably one of the smallest. He was the tallest. Hmm. You know, which made him look the smallest. He might have been the heaviest because he was so tall. Mm. But, like, he didn't have that crazy fullness that some of the other guys have. Like, when Buendia was competing, you'd look at him and be like, fuck, he's massive, you know, he's huge. you look at all these things. And I, and I feel like they're trying to do it. I just don't think it happens over one year. I think now that this guy's here, he's slightly smaller. Maybe next year Ryan Terry can creep a little bit higher because he's a little bit smaller. But even he said, even he said, I need to go away and put the size. He said he, said he didn't want to go away and put the size on. Um... He wanted to come in with just good condition, come in a bit fuller. And then in the, in the interview after the Olympic, he goes, I'm just going to have to go away and put the size on. You know, they don't want that. They want more size. So, like, part of me thinks, fuck, they do want more size. Where's the limit? Um, I don't think it ruins it because actually my goal was always to be a pretty fucking big dude. Like, mm. I wanted to look like Arnold and Arnold looks like he's a big fucking dude. He would be too big for men's physique mm. now. So I, that was kind of what I wanted to look like anyway. Mm. Um, which I think is probably more of the goal is to kind of give my like I'm not trying to I'm not trying to grow myself to please a judge really like I'm actually just trying to fill what I want to fill out you know which is probably what the judge wants to see anyway you know I need more upper chest I need more delts I need more but that's arms. not exactly true is it because in effect you do want to please the judges because you're the one that's asking for feedback yeah what am i going to do next yeah. so actually yeah you do want to please the judges I know because you you yeah. you know where you want to get to and without pleasing the judges you can't get there yeah but wouldn't you but i would say that my i know what you mean i know what you mean it probably comes over that but i would say that what i have in my head of how i want my physique to look or where i want it to go i can never picture how i want it to look but where i want it to go is probably along the lines of the criteria of men physique anyway, or classic physique. So kind of the judge, like, like, I, like I said at the beginning of the year, I kind of gave myself feedback at the beginning of the year. I said, I'll probably do quite well. feel like I could probably get a few top threes, maybe a win. Uh, but the problem's going to be size, you know. I'm never going to, I'm going to have the condition, I've got the shape, I've got the flow, I've got the posing, but the problem's going to be size. You know, so I kind of ha I feel like I have that realistic view of what I need. It just happens to align with what the judges say. So it kind of seems like I'm pleasing the judges. But I know, like, at the end of the day, you need to please the judges to win. But bodybuilding is like a self-journey type thing. Do you think that... This is just another question. But do you think the judges know that by wanting size, what they're encouraging their contestants it's, to do? Or does that not matter? Is that irrelevant to them? I don't know. I think. I think... Because they have to know, don't they? They have to know. And I think they've probably been there before. And half of them are washed up bodybuilders. So they've been there, failed and stopped. 
but that's the one of the problems of this sport. It's like while in every other sport actually using PEDs, performance enhancing drugs, is condemned. So, you, like, it's hard to be taking them for a while, and it's hard to be like you've got to be meticulous of when you come off, and you know, like cyclists, you know, they'll go through like a a program for a year to pass a drugs test, whereas bodybuilders. It's just like, how much can you take? You know what I mean? And, and now that they've got this like point system where really they encourage you to compete more, obviously because they get more money, obviously because, well, to be, to be fair to them, you also get more chance of money because you compete more. But in competing more at that size, it just means you're using drugs for longer, you know? And in pushing for more size, it means you're using more drugs for longer. So it's this huge, like, ignorance is bliss. It's, it's so washed over in this industry. Not one judge will be even heard saying steroids. You know what I mean? It's it's very, very strange considering it's somewhat fine to take because they don't drug test. But I assume just because it is illegal in some places, they just completely ignore it. And, and I, they definitely know, like, they're not stupid, of course. I just think... I just think money is always going to win. You know, what are they going to say? Stop competing. Okay, well, now we're going to have to pay the judges less because there's less competitions. You know, like, it's all just that fucking game. No one gives a shit what anyone else happens. It's the same in business. You think the CEO cares if the janitor gets, like, fired? Like, no, nah, they don't. They just, you know, as long as the money's moving. It's the way it is, I think. Just pretty savage. Sorry, I had another question but on that, but I can't remember. It might come back to me in a bit. Um, so... Obviously, now you've started steroids, are you going to continue above any cost? Thinking about some of the infections, etc., that you've had during the period that you have been on them already? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I'm just all in until, until I get a serious sign that I need to stop. I think I'd probably have to be all in. I'm also confident in the fact that I probably won't need to push myself to that position because I've got beneficial genetics, because I've got a good foundation, because of the way I've put things in place. I'm pretty confident I'm not going to have to push myself to the point of my body saying, you need to fucking stop this now, like a lot of bodybuilders will, you know, with like mini heart attacks or whatever, you know, like I'm, I'd like to say I'm confident. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Don't want to be that guy either to, who's going to be riding on his cloud and then bang, Dallas McCarver, 25 years old, by the way. Dallas McCarver, bodybuilder, drop dead, heart attack, you know, because he was pushing it so much. Granted, 15, 20 times the amount that I was taking for 15, 20 an hour time I've been taking it. Um, but those, those risks are real. And I think, yeah, I just have to push it. I, I sort of pushed it this year for what I, for what I probably needed to do. But I just think, yeah, like once you enter this game, you need to do what you need to do. Like, they're, they're, like in, in in steroids, there's these like these drugs. Oh my god, trend. Oh my god, insulin. Oh my god, growth. It's this is part of the fucking game, you know. Like you don't you don't stand on stage and they don't ask you what drugs you did and didn't take. They don't stand on stage but like how much do you bench? How much? They're all irrelevant. It's how you look and what you can do. So, drugs or no drugs, it doesn't like you. Just you got to do what you got to do. I think. That's something that that's something I learned this year, is that whatever I take is irrelevant to what everyone else takes. It's just about how you look. It doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter. So when I get asked, "What are you taking?" What it doesn't. So what? Like it's about how I look. Like are you the judge? Like no, it doesn't matter. I mean, I I, I look at that guy that that beat you in the British finals, and I presume that he is taking steroids. And I noticed that his ab section had all joined together, and I wondered whether that was a side effect. That everything mm. will just block out with steroids I, and therefore ruin the aesthetic appearance of what I believed men's physique to be. Did it? Did it though? Was I more aesthetic this year or less aesthetic? Were you? I look back at those natural <laughs> ones and I think they are bloody aesthetic. I, I fucking them. love those pictures. I hate them. Just. But, yeah. the, yeah, but the same frame's there. It's just way the more. The same tight. frame is there, yeah. But is, got, it, is you, it going to get that blocky steroidy look because for me that's what ruins it yeah I, I think a lot of that comes from improper use gaining a shitload when you're not supposed to gain a shitload 
Like we have like androgen sites on the body, you know, for example, delts, which is why you'll see people on steroids with bigger delts. But if they're not training properly, you're gonna have some dude with big delts, but just like weak elsewhere. Um, I don't think you're gonna block out. I think you'll gain more muscle in areas, but in terms of like your waist, like structure is structure. The only thing that's gonna change your structure is gonna be like growth hormone at high doses for a very long time. Otherwise. Otherwise, I don't think structure is going to change. I think the fullness and muscle will change, but I'm not going to get. I'm not going to like develop a blocky midsection or anything. That'll just be his genetics. He's got a weird body anyway. You know, like he just has those weird genetics. Maybe just hear that. So when Sorry, do you, Omar. when do you think the cutoff time will be? When you say, do you know what? I'm not going to make it, or I am going to make it. Yeah. I do think about that. Part of me thinks I shouldn't have a cutoff time because it's like if this is your dream, you just fucking go for it. And you don't stop to get it. Like that's what a winner does. But then part of like my sensible head says, "Yeah, but like, wait, where are you gonna go? You're just gonna keep pushing until you're dead, or you know, if you've not got the genetics for it, this is one thing that is quite harsh: is that people don't have genetics for it, but they will continue to push because they've developed this hard work will out will outbeat this. And he's like, no, if you've not got it, you've actually not got it in bodybuilding. You know, you either like have amazing muscle bellies, a really nice physique to look at." Well, you don't, you know what? And the, guess what? The guys who don't constantly place fifth to tenth plus, and I don't want to be fifth to tenth. So I think a lot of it would be feedback as I go. For example, feedback from this year: uh, first show overall, second show got into the overall and didn't look too out of place. Third show potentially could have got that pro card if Omar wasn't there. That tells me that I've got potential to keep going. If next year when I come back and compete. I get my pro card, I then compete in the pro circuit and say place five, fifth to tenth in my first year. Cool, that's pretty good. You know, Then I can get maybe a top five the next year and then maybe the Olympia after. But if I just get whitewashed time after time, for example, I'm going to use Omar as an example. And I don't think he's going to listen to this. So I hope he doesn't mind. He competed seven times this year and got first seven times. Bearing in mind that our category, our height category, mine and his, being the tall guys, is generally the weakest you know so you generally like you can if you've got good genetics and you, and you look good you'll do better in a taller category just because the smaller guys smaller muscle a bigger muscle bellies more fullness more size so it looks a bit better but i think if i'd won seven times and had never won an overall you know he'd been to seven overalls and hadn't got it until the final show part of me thinks like you're just not meant for it you know like you especially if your feedback is no you don't need to change anything you just need the right show He's like, no, no, no. Like, you, you, I think if you want to push yourself like this, you walk into a show and everyone goes, oh, that guy's going to win. You know, like we did with um, John Lofthouse on, on the British finals. John Lofthouse is a classic body. He came on, every single person in that venue went, fuck me, wow. That's how it needs to be for me in my in my head. I need to be, okay, this guy's come for, who's coming for second? That's how it needs to be next year, you know? And I think if it's not, with a, two fucking good off like two years good off season i think you just find find the answer but i did say like give it five years five years of pushing it and then so I, I know there's a, a criteria for the judges but what do you think about the total subjectivity of um of judging because i know i know i'm your mum but actually i am quite fair i don't go down on your side necessarily you know i will say to amy i'll go oh that person will beat josh but when you were out there with omar my gut feeling was that you had it because you looked much better than him so will will your dream be ruined by subjectivity Mm, i think if i can so you see for me i see it differently because the way they are judging it it's not necessarily who looks better, you know. It's actually like, okay, let's take this pose, that pose. Who won this pose? Him. Yeah. Let's take this pose. They go for every single pose. You either win or you lose it. And actually, I actually probably lost some of the poses just because of the density and the fullness, you know. So that's that. Then they'll take stage presence. Who won? Okay, cool. Then they'll take condition. Who won? He probably won condition as well because of the veins, you know, and, and the hardness that he had. And then they'll take, you know, every single one of these criteria and it won't just be like it won't they won't group it as one they'll genuinely break it down one by one they probably don't but they they should be breaking it down one by one 
and 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 for example, bodybuilding, there's eight to ten mandatory poses. You know, so you could win four of them and look unbelievable in the main ones. But if you lose your side, this and that, you lose you lose the competition. You know, so I think there's a lot more to the judging than just like, oh, he looks really nice because obviously I come on with a big smile. I really present well. People are drawn to me naturally, so they'll have that thing in their head. But the judges, they have to remain somewhat like cool. That's one aspect that we're going to mark. Cool, maybe Josh won the posing, but not, but you know now we've got to go to the physique. So, like I w actually would have put him first. I actually would have because of the fullness, the size, the density, and and if you think okay, we're going to give this guy a pro card, he can now compete with pros. You know he was probably closer to a pro physique than I was just because of the fullness, size and density. So uh, uh, people will say like, is there politics and judging? Like sometimes I'm like, yeah, but other times I'm like, nah, I kind of see the fairness in it and I can kind of see it. So it's such a difficult question, the subjectivity. And it's a big thing that people condemn with. Why are you working so hard for just eight people's opinions? It's like, it is eight people's opinions, but it's also eight people's opinions that fly around the world all year, every single year, and have done for 10 to 15 years, and seen hundreds of thou thousands of physiques, and they know what they're looking for, you know, they, they, you know, and if they don't, then they shouldn't be judges, but, so it's a difficult question, hmm. but yeah. I know, because obviously, I mean, whether it was true or not, that when we were in Padova, um, that chief judge had apparently conveyed to the guy that came to pick us up from the apartment that he thought that you should have won well obviously you were nowhere near as big in size but he must have seen something else yeah, like he yeah. must have been looking for that you know classic men's physique if you for like sure, um, sure. and I think I've got that but I genuinely think like if you're a judge and you say okay we're giving a pro card right now we have to give it to mm. the person no I mean I know pro, that those you know? pros are, are so much bigger and I've all and I've said to you all well, year Josh you know you, you you need size. Yeah. Um, and when you were, that guide said, oh, I hope you're going to compete in Olympia. I said, yeah, but even if you get a pro card, you're still going to need size yeah. anyway. Yeah. So you're just wasting time. So so I thing. always said that the size was missing just because I, you know, looked at some of those pro people that went to Padova and and they were, yeah, they were big. Do you think it, do you think it scares you seeing the size of me? And that's why you're a bit like, fuck, this is a bit like too much now. It doesn't, like, it doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare me at all. If that's what it's needed, I I I just feel sad that that it's had to develop into. Yeah, that. but do you, but does do you consider that it's maybe not the judges that have pushed me to take drugs, and it's not the judges who are pushing the size up for me to take drugs? Because actually, since the men's physique Olympia began in two thousand fourteen, I believe it was maybe two thousand thirteen. Maybe, actually, maybe 2012, thinking about it. That year was probably the only year that I probably could have made it naturally, you know, if it was now, you know. And then from 2013 or whatever the year was, everyone clearly, everyone clearly jumped on steroids or had found, you know, whatever it was. Because at that point, I was like, okay, you know, you're either in the 0.001% or you're taking steroids, you know. And, and, and I think... I don't, you know, I like. I don't think it's the judges pushing me to take it. Like it was my decision. It's my decision on the doses. Like I think, regardless, I still want to get bigger. So I still probably would have gone down that route um, if I was competing. Mm. It's a difficult question, you know. It's a very, very difficult question. I think because because getting pro in two thousand sixteen and seventeen was almost almost like a reachable dream naturally because they had a different criteria. Like and then they stripped, rightly so. They stripped away the criteria and said, "No, no, no. If you if you're gonna get a pro card, you need to be pro standard." Like that makes sense to me, and I always said that. Mm. But actually, before it was like, "No, if you've got potential and you've got the best structure and shape, you you, you might get it." Mm. So it, it, it very much threw a spanner in the works. Mm. Um, and you know what? Maybe if they hadn't changed it, I may not be taking steroids right now. Mm. But I'm fucking glad I did because I love being this big. <laughs> Oh, I'm shaking her head for everyone. How shallow. For everyone can hear so probably shaking her head. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I think continuing from there about, you know, pro card. I know people have said to me, what does a pro card actually mean? What will it mean for you personally as regards your career? And what will you gain from having one? Because uh, it's not a tremendous amount of money in it, yeah. is there? 
as far as I believe. Anyway. For sure, for sure, yeah. I think um, mo- like ninety percent of this is is just a personal journey and mountain that I want to climb. For sure, it's just this this thing that I just want to get so bad. Um, I don't want to stop until I can get it. Um, I think business wise, it will help. Just even being able to put a pro there, more people are going to want to click on you. You know, that's that's the reality of this game. Um, more, more exposure, more followers, more ability to reach more people, and actually being a pro who knows what the fuck he's on about because none, like none of them know, and it's painful. And I want to be that light in the industry. And actually, I can see it happening now because. There's a very, very little, very, very, very... I could probably count on one hand the pros that can talk the way I talk about nutrition, training, recovery, and actually for it to be real, not just your bro science. You know, so I'd very much like that to be a thing that happens. So business would take off. I'd get more followers. In turn, more money. Yeah, people don't like to say that, but I would get more money from it. You know, that's the reality of it. I'd probably get more ability to get sponsorships. All my sponsorship money would go up. Um... But most importantly, just personal. It's just a personal goal. It's just one of those things um, that unfortunately doesn't have a monetary gain. So most people don't get the point of it. Do you know what I mean? Like if you say, but, but what do you get out of it? Or I want to be a professional tennis player. Oh, fair enough. Be, be a millionaire. I want to be a professional footballer. Oh, fair enough. Be a millionaire. Any other sport. Oh, yeah. You probably make a living out of that. But bodybuilding is, is because because you don't get the money from bodybuilding. People don't get the, don't get it. But it's the uh, the associations of bodybuilding that you'd get the money from. But it's just the personal journey of just being yourself year in, year out, day in, day out. It's just it's such a, a transcending experience to mm. do that day in, day out. Mm. Um, so thinking about like lots of people, whenever they see your photos, they say, oh, you should be doing classic, should be doing classic. What are your thoughts on that? And... How do you think, because I think, personally, Brandon Harding's got an incredible physique. Would you be able to compete with that, do you think? Yeah, I could be him. Do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than me, and he... Actually, we're, we're quite similar sizes um, in terms of weight. He's taller than me. Um, uh, he's a little bit taller than me, an inch taller than me. But yeah, I, I could be that dude. You know why? Because I fucking work harder. And, I, and I'll, he's been on gear for three years. I've been on gear for ten months. You know, like, unfortunately, this game is a longevity game. You know, who can put it in for the longest without making the most mistakes? And I know he makes mistakes. And but he I, isn't going to make mistakes now, is he? Because he's got a coach. He's going to make mistakes. And even if he doesn't make mistakes, his non-mistakes will be mistakes because of how hard I'm working. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to miss a beat. I'm not going to... You know, I hope that's the case for him. You know, and, and he doesn't miss a beat and I hope that he... Can fulfill his dream of going to Olympia and all that, but you know, I just I'm just playing my own game. Like I can be that guy. I'm 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 so far behind where my weight category is. I'm so far behind in where my drug use is. I'm so far behind in where my drug age, use age is. I've only really grasped training for the last three years. You know, bearing in mind that the best bodybuilders are in their thirties. I got time. I got size. I got the knowledge. I've got the the mentality and the mindset. And I think that's a big advantage. The 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 wolf climbing the hill is always hungrier than the lion at the top. And, and Brandon's the lion at the top. And I'm always going to be a sheep. So you think Wait, that no. you would be? <laughs> I'm always going to be a lion. Do you think you would want to do classic? Then? Um, if I can get big enough. Like, I love the flow of it. Like, I do love the flow of it. If I can get big enough. I think, I think my weight category is, like, 96 kilos. So I've still got to put on, like seven eight nine kilos of muscle you know which is a lot of size i gotta be like 120 walking around in off season you know that's a lot of fucking size do you think you'd be able to do your routine with your anxiety problem <laughs> it probably would be a thing because <laughs> men's physique's easy but i probably could with a, with a classic physique but i think there's bigger there's bigger people to worry about in classic than than Ramon harding i think he'll get bigger of course he will he's good he's really good Stream me away from men's physique and competing? Or you got more yeah, no, that's it. Uh, those were just aside things that just I thought okay. in my head. Okay. So I'm going to the cannabis problem. Now. We're going to talk about weed. <laughs> um, <laughs> because. <laughs> so <Ugh. laughs> I say here you started cannabis at uni, but I do know that you did try it before you went. 
um, do you think that the long period of time you've been using it will ultimately affect your brain slash memory and its performance? Bearing in mind, I see the effects as a teacher on students whose attitude is that they can't be bothered. What would your advice be to two young people? So I guess that's two questions there. Yeah. So first of all, do you think ultimately it would affect your brain slash memory? Yeah. Uh, and your and your performance? Um, I definitely think that cannabis affects your brain. I definitely think that cannabis will affect your memory, short-term memory. There's pretty good studies in saying that it will affect your short-term memory. What, like leaving your um, headphones around and about? Yeah, yeah, I've lost so many headphones this year. Um, to be fair, I've always been slightly clumsy anyway, and I've slightly been slightly forgetful. Excuses. Yeah, but uh, it will definitely lead to that, yeah. Um, and actually, I can tie this into the second question. In a developing brain... For example, pre-18, probably 20, 21, you can affect the, the growth of your neurons, the, the, the connectivity of every single thing in your brain by stifling it with something that is, um, what's the word, um, psychoactive. You know, whether it be weed, whether it be hash, whether it be, you know, use of other drugs, you will inhibit your growth in your brain if you're smoking before then or using these things before then. So I'm quite lucky in the fact that I didn't even see or know what weed was until I was like 18, 19, and that was when I first started. Um, so first of all, if you're young and you're smoking weed, you ain't got no place doing that shit. It's, it will drag, until you've got the mental capacity to know what real world is, and actually you need to work for shit, like, it's just going to make you lazy, and it did make me lazy. Maybe you're different, you know, everyone is different, but for the majority of people, you are not mentally mature enough to handle something that will depress your nervous system, suppress you, make you feel groggy, make you feel hungry, make you feel lazy, you know, until you've got something that drives you to get up and go. Who wants to go to school, you know, like, kids waking up, especially kids, my mum works at a, was it, like a public school, you know. That, no, comprehensive school. Comprehensive school, so not the, you know. Like 20% of the kids are awful, you know, and then you've got a good percentage which are good, but there's a lot of broken homes, a lot of problems, you know, so you can imagine the view that my mum gets seeing these kids come in at 8am stinking a weed who just sit there and mong out all day, you know, and I used to do that shit as well, so I can understand where that comes, but if you, I, I feel like the way that I've been brought up, the way that I've had a pretty sound household around me, caught my parents broken up, but I mean, in the scheme of life, you know, I've always had a roof over my head. I've, we've never got problems with money, but not like... I've always been able to buy whatever I want, get what I want. I've never had to struggle for food. I haven't had to go collect my fucking, you know, my weekly allowance from the council or whatever, you know. So we've been in a good place. And I think if you're not in a good place and you have something that's messing with your brain chemistry, I think inevitably you're going to, you know, lead to a an explosion of shit, especially when you haven't got the mental maturity nor the parental guidance to help you through periods of like I'm just fucked you know like at least when I when I was at uni I didn't know what I was doing I could talk to 10 other people in the house about you know anything else other than that but I think if you're a young young person and, 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 you, and you're doing and you're smoking weed and I, I, I just I don't I don't actually see a place for it before that age you know I actually don't um, I can't see a benefit of it I do see a benefit of it now of course otherwise I wouldn't do it um but yeah, first question, yeah, it would definitely have an effect on my brain memory. In terms of performance, do you mean like in the gym or do you mean like... No, just, you, like just your brain performance, really. Brain, brain performance. memory performance. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be very, very personal dependent. There are guys who are 70, 80, 90 who have been smoking all their life and are absolutely fine. And there are guys who will smoke two or three joints and develop schizophrenia, you know? Like it's, it's mm. very much a, a personal thing. I think, and I've got friends who 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 don't smoke anymore, you know. And we've smoked the whole time. Now they don't smoke anymore. Ule was one of them. We mentioned earlier in the podcast. Like he he stopped because it wasn't for him anymore. Mo Habeshi, like he stopped towards the end of the end of university when we were at the biggest smoking. He he stopped because it just wasn't didn't give him the same thing that he used to, and, and and that's fine, you know. I think everyone is different. It's just how you deal with it. But what's your opinion on it? Because what, what, obviously you came from having this mindset of it. And actually, I remember I used to sneak home. We'd be like, "Oh, you look tired," but yeah, long day. And for a while, you probably didn't even know until until no, I, I don't know. I don't even know when the moment came. But I didn't. I, I mean, it, going back to that point that you said about developing brains and and connectivity until twenty one. Well, those were your university years. So, do you think it had anything to do with you dropping out of your masters, for example? 
I, I definitely think it served as a vice. Definitely served served as an escape from like the whatever I was going through, which you know at the time didn't you know it didn't feel like I didn't know what it was. It didn't feel like anything, but like I literally couldn't go to a lecture, and I I'd literally get up a lecture whenever you ring me. I'd be like, oh yeah, we did this, you know, and read 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 it off my sheet, you know, for whatever reason I managed to justify myself doing that, and actually smoking was my escape, and that was the problem. Like that was the problem. That is the problem with having drink, cigarettes, whatever it is that you have in your life that you go to when you're stressed or, which is why a lot of bodybuilders will binge eat, you know, because they're so focused on one thing. When it goes wrong and the stress comes, they focus on the one thing they've got control over and it's just like the binge. Similarly, if if you're focusing on, if you're like, if like a smoker, shit was stressful, I'd get that like, oh, I need to go to a lecture. I need to go to a lecture. Oh, it's only 10 minutes. I need to leave. I need to leave. And then I'll smoke a joint. I'll forget. I'll be like, okay, cool. You know, whatever. You know, and he kind of gave me that fuck it mentality, and it served, and it served as a vice and an escape for like the anxiety that I was going through. But that was the worst thing that I could have associated it with. Well, what do you call it now then? Now I just call it re- recreational use, <laughs> just chilling, like you know. Now it's now it now it serves its purpose of being able for me to to switch off. When I need to switch off. I need to if you know my brain goes from the you know I wake up at five a.m. now. 5am, you remember I used to wake up at 1, 2, I wake up at 5am and I cannot go back to sleep because my brain is like, oh, I could do this, I could do that, oh, I've got some emails here, you know, and, and then what, I can smoke at 8am and the same thing will happen, you know, I'll just, my brain will just keep going because the motivation is there, the, the, the maturity is there, the realisation is if I sit around and smoke a weed all day, I ain't getting nowhere, you know, so now it serves its purpose but I was definitely a slave to it back in the day. Mm. But, but how do you, but the question is, how do you feel about it now that you've seen me smoke it for, so I'm 26 now, uh, day 27, I probably started when I was 19, so nearly daily, for nearly a decade. I know. Eight years. Um, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I don't but like do you have it. But do you have a different opinion on it now that you see where I am in terms of life, or do you still have that negative effect, do you still have that negative thing because you think, you know what, it's still fucking... Like, he's still lazy as fuck You're at university. We still paid all this money for him to go to university to smoke weed for three years and not go to lectures. Does that still play on your head? No, I don't think about that anymore. I try not to think about that, but it has just ignited <laughs> it in my mind, as you've just said it. Yeah, bastard. Um, no, I don't know. There's something about it I just don't like, and I don't, I don't know what it is. Because, obviously, I do see you highly motivated, and I obviously always associate cannabis with idleness not wanting to do anything can't be bothered attitude so so there is a dichotomy there of me seeing you seemingly highly motivated which you are um and on the other hand being lazy and idle but I highly what say highly motivated because i'm high <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um because i don't really see you being lazy i don't think apart from not anymore messy bedroom but no so I'm not really sure. Yeah. No, I don't. I still don't like it though. I yeah, still don't. Yeah, I still walk in and smell it. I think, oh god, that's six flips down the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. Mumsy doesn't like it. <laughs> People, I oh, know. Someone, someone asked. Uh, I want to hear your mum's side of the story when we smoked a joint at, at the lock in Scotland. <laughs> that was horrible. That was funny. So. So Josh said, oh, I said, oh, let's go down to the lock. It's supposed to be really nice down there. And it was a really nice evening. And he started to roll a spliff. And what you do? And I said, you're not having a spliff? He said, oh, yes, this is the one of the best places to have it. Yeah. Nice, nice lock. It was sunset. <laughs> so I said, all right, then I'll, I'll share it with you. He goes, what? You're going to, you're going to, you're going to do it, are you? I said, well, yeah. Anyway, I did. And, and almost immediately I'm like, my throat was really dry. Yeah. I'm like, blah, blah. Josh, I can't. I need a drink. I need a drink. And he literally had to run back to we, the we were like wedding venue, a kilometer away or something, to get me some water. And I had to run. And then literally, I was walking around this wedding venue, and people were going, "Are you all right?" I felt awful. I you felt were, like I was going to die. You were white as a ghost, red eyed. And, and then that makes me think, well, what's it supposed to make you feel like? Because it doesn't make me feel like that. I mean, I used oh. to live with a guy. I used to grow in his back garden. Or in our back garden, even, and um, 
Well, we made cannabis cakes from it. And I never even got anything from that either. I used to wake up all disorientated in the morning. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably what my memories are of it. Yeah, that's what it is, deep-rooted back and to... And therefore, I don't like it. Back to Gareth, or whatever his fucking name was. Howard. Howard. <laughs> Howard, if you're listening, you fucked it up. <laughs> cool. Do you want any other questions? Let's do it. We can do it. a few more questions. We're on 55 minutes now, so we can wrap it up fairly soon. Well, so, so you've turned it off now, yeah? No, no, still. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, the, the things are just like about your passions in life, what your passions in life, what ultimately do you want to achieve? Yeah, we can wrap it up on those questions. Yeah, what your pet hates? My pet hates. I have too many pet hates. My pet hate is when someone asks me a question that you could Google. <laughs> my pet hate is laziness. My pet hate is laziness, even though I was lazy as fuck. <laughs> Literally, I was that guy. Um, I don't know whether Amy would say that when you shove your case under the bed and it's all messy, and she'd say, "Can you clean that up?" I've got nowhere else. <laughs> got nowhere else. Oh, a question. A question about Amy from from anonymous. How do you feel now that your son, your baby boy, is is leaving in? circa four or five months potentially this is like you know when like especially only child my mum lives on her own our dog's probably going to be put down soon so it's going to it's pretty morbid again thanks um you know so it's going to be your short will be on her own i think leaving to uni was pretty savage at the time you cried i cried it was really really hard but you always had that like okay three years four years and he's back no you know? a few weeks till christmas yeah a few weeks till christmas <laughs> then it's easter then it, you know you, you live holiday to holiday but this next move, moving in with my girlfriend, moving to London, this is like, you know, this could be the move forever, you know, unless, God forbid, something happens with me and Amy. But this could be the move move forever. So how do you feel your baby boy is leaving? Well, whoever wrote that question is very insightful and must know and appreciate what a close relationship we have. And the fact that, actually, you know, you're my best friend in many ways, mm. as well as being my son. Likewise. But obviously, as a parent, you want your children to be happy. That's the ultimate. And I know that you're happy with Amy. I know that you found somebody that you love, albeit I know that every girlfriend that you have, this is the one. This is the one for me. <laughs> I hope you're not listening, Amy. <laughs> Fucking hell. But I know that you love her and I know that she inspires you. And I think that's really important as well. So... I think, you know, as when I think back to my mum, she just wanted to make sure that I was happy with somebody that I, that she didn't leave me on her on my own when she went, and I think I feel the same way that you've got somebody that loves you, yeah. And I know that when when I'm gone, that you'll be happy and you'll be with somebody that you love. Yeah, but doesn't that selfish part of you think, fuck you bastard, why don't you just stay here for a bit longer? <laughs> no, you're 26 years old, you know, everybody moves out. I'm, I moved, I never went back after I went to uni. I never went back home after I definitely, that. I definitely think kids these days are staying with their parents longer though. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, you know, for, for money purposes and, and mortgages, etc. But, you know, I know that when you go to London and when you went to London the first time, the one thing that you said was, mum, this is just a new chapter. You know, yeah. we're still going to do things. Yeah, you're going to yeah, come yeah. to London. You're going to do this. Yeah, you're going to yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm thinking that's going to be exactly the same thing. We're still going to be doing more, you yeah, know, yeah. things together. Well, because you've got such a flexible lifestyle anyway. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, sometimes you might say, "Oh, I'm going to see my mum for the weekend," or I might say, "If you've got a room for me in your new place, that um, I'll come up to London and we'll do London stuff that we haven't done that's and it. shows and what have you." That's Still it. go on holiday every now and again. It's a, it's a hard conversation to have with your parent because especially if it's a a single mum or you know um, or a parent living on their own now, and they're sixty five years old, sixty four years old, you know, and it's it's a difficult conversation to have because you know that you're leaving them on their own, and you know that it's like, it's like you don't want to do that because you know what are they going to do when they get home? Are they who they're going to talk to? Da, 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 you know, all these things run through your head, but then also a big part of you is like. Oh, I'm 26. You know, I want to run a business. I've got to move into my girlfriend. You know, I've got, it's such like a, a push pull that, that you've got to decide. And the easiest thing for me to do was just to literally just say how it is and be like, "Look, I'm moving out. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's let's 
sort it out, you know? Because <laughs> so, I think for so long we ignored it, like, a little bit. Well, it was always going to come because, you know, at some point most children will move out and be with a partner and that's life and that's what we you know we we, we get on with it and we move on and, and and that's it of course of course i'll miss you like crazy but that's life and it's time for you to go dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah mum's now, now crying on the podcast <laughs> uh, that was pretty good anything else no i don't think so Sweet. Um, let me just check. We my just list. just touched the hour mark, so if anyone's still listening, I appreciate you. <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's it. So thank you so much for coming on, Mumsy. Appreciate my it. My pleasure. Hope you all enjoyed it, yeah, and if it you, wasn't too boring for you. If you guys have any questions, don't forget to DM me, Josh Bridgman on Instagram. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. This was a raw ready i'm not going to edit any of it i think it's pretty i think we, we didn't really make any mistakes we didn't say anything that we shouldn't have done i don't think so we're just i'm just going to leave it how it is hope you guys enjoyed this one don't forget to leave a comment subscribe a rating and we'll speak to you soon peace <laughs>